Hello everyone. Today we're going to continue on with our Japanese church history. And last time we we finished at the end of the of the Bakufu or the Tokugawa shogunate, which was of course the 250 years of isolation. And today we're going to start out by looking a little bit what happened first with the Catholics uh, just because of the interest how they came back and found the hidden Christians. And then after that we'll be of course focusing more on the Protestant evangelical work. And first of all, in the mid-1800s, several French priests began to arrive in the Ryukyu Islands, now called Okinawa, and they were, of course, already related to Japan and to China, but the king there gave them uh, permission to evangelize and, and work, and they started working, and then another couple Protestant evangelical missionaries also arrived. The evangelical missionaries worked there for about eight years, but only baptized four people, and I think altogether maybe about 10 years they were there, but they only baptized four people. At least the one missionary who was there for eight years baptized four people, but they said many others believed. But then the king died. Somewhere in between there, the king died, and the, the situation got worse and worse, and they ended up health reasons and everything they had to leave. But then, um, finally then, situations are changing in Japan, and they were the... And the door started opening. But first of all, I want to remind you that we've talked about Xavier and Takayama Ukon, the famous uh, daimyo who stayed firm with Christ until the end. And today we're going to be introducing this guy. I don't know if any of you know his name, but we'll be, you'll soon find out. And so Japan opens its doors, and this is how it happened. So first of all, in, uh, finally in 1859, Catholic priests were allowed to move to several cities in Japan. And in March of 1865, an old woman told a priest, the hearts of all of us here are the same as yours. Now this was amazing because these Catholic priests were really wondering if there were any survivors, you know, of all the, of, you know, after the very last contact was at least about 200 years, you know. And so they... Uh, and of course, this was still the Tokugawa shogunate because you know the Toku, the Meiji government, which with the, with the power, with the authority went back to the emperor Meiji, was in 1868. So in 18 in, in, a, in a early 1860s, the Catholic priests were allowed to build a couple of churches, and of course, they were only allowed to to share anything about Christianity to only the Japanese. I mean, to the, only to the foreigners in, in their, the, where they were working. They were only allowed to work with the foreigners, not to the Japanese. But Japanese started coming, the church built, a big, beautiful church was built in Nagasaki, and Japanese started coming to look. It was a famous tourist attraction. And this old woman we went some, with some others and told them this. And they found out that there was a section, a, a, a town nearby Nagasaki, which now is part of Nagasaki, called, uh, I think the name is Uragami. Yeah, Uragami. And there were, that almost everyone in that village were Christians. And they started finding more and more Christians. And the Catholic priests started secretly helping them. And, and they started coming back into the church. But they were doing things only at night. But then slowly, of course, the government started figuring out, finding out about it. And even already then the Christians began to be arrested and tortured again. And this was a very sad time because meanwhile, so the, even the new Meiji government, which was from 1868 which was just as much against Christianity as the old Bakufu. And they imprisoned 3,400 Christians in 22 different locations. 
uh, Christians from 22 different locations. And they were terrible conditions in these prisons and very a lot of physical and mental abuse. It was really terrible. And this went on uh, for a while. In fact, the young even goes on to say that, that there was an estimated 8,000 of these former, you know, the Kirishitam, the ones, the hidden Christians that were persecuted, including 2,000 dying in prisons. And then this was all between after the Meiji government started from 1868 to 1873. And it's 1873 when all the anti-Christian signs that were put up were finally taken down. And this was because there was a lot of um, effort on the foreign diplomats and even Japanese began to really speak up more and more. And finally in 1873, the Meiji government set all the Christians free. What happened is the government sent a, a mission, a political mission to the states in Europe. And the states and in Europe, especially some of the countries in Europe, started really uh, going, telling very strongly to these diplomats that they had to let stop persecuting the Christians. And the, Jap the Meiji government was going to be totally zero tolerance of Christians. But because of all the pressure, finally even the Japanese mission, these political people that were sent to study you know, the political situation in other countries, they went as a, on a study tour. They called the Iwakura Mission. But they, they uh, started, one of the foreign ministers of Japan at the time, he, he communicated back to Japan and said, we've got to do something about this. And so finally they set the Christians free. So now we're going to be going, uh, talking about the beginning of the, of the Protestant work. And there was, at the very beginning, was from again 1859, which the same time that the, the Catholic priests arrived until 1883. This is the Protestant beginnings. And Commodore Perry, with his black warships, forced Japan to make a treaty with the U.S. in 1853, and other nations followed. And the first Protestant service in Japan was actually on Commodore Perry's, on the deck of his ship. And that was the very first service that was held. And then additional treaties were made and then granting more and more rights, including rights to live in certain areas of Japan for these foreigners. And so with that, uh, the Japanese started having a possibility of, of coming into Japan. And so this, and in, in preparation for, um, for the Osaka Conference in 1883, this is the end of this period that we're first looking, this Verbeck, uh, Guido Verbeck, the first wrote his History of Protestant Missions in Japan, way back then already, and in it he, he titles the first two decades of missionary work in the following way. So he first calls the first one from 1859 to 1872, the time of preparation and promise, and then from 1873 to 1883, a season of progressive realization and performance. So we're going to use these two titles. And first of all, we're going to start now then with in 1859 to 1872, the time of preparation and promise. And this is the beginning of uh, Protestant work. Like I said, the Protestant missionaries came in at the same time as the Catholic, but both of them weren't allowed to say a word about Christianity to any Japanese. It's completely for forbidden. Of course, they did secretly some, but it was very, very difficult during this time. So this was, of course, still the period under the anti-Christian edict with signs all over Japan. 
And these signs, they said that, uh, here it says, ancient edict board pros proscribing Christianity, offering rewards to informers. And, you know, this was this board, of course, is from 1711, but they said that these boards, all here is all written with kanji, but that these boards were like in front of every village and town and city. They had them all over the whole country of Japan. And so this was... Um, during this time, the, in 1859, the Protestant missionaries began arriving in a couple ports, including James C. Hepburn of the Presbyterian Church. So, now we have finally, Hepburn is uh, one of the very first missionaries that arrived in 1859. And he and his wife arrived, and several other couples arrived, both in Yokohama and Nagasaki. And this was a very, very um, exciting time. But again, they were allowed to minister only to the foreigners in the areas that they were working. So then, uh, and actually Drummond writes that during this period, the members of these missions and their families experienced the most difficult conditions of living, physical, mental, and spiritual. And actually, you know, the samurai hated the, the foreigners. All the foreigners and missionaries, they hated them, of course, even the missionaries probably even more, but they hated them all. And they say that the, the common folk, both in the towns and in the, in the countryside, they just had a real fear of the, of the foreigners. But that it was all very, very, um, you know, the, it was a very difficult time because people hated them. And they said that about 12 to 15 foreigners were killed during this time and even a, a secretary of one of the ministers. So it was, and that, that most of the people that would talk with them were government spies. Remember, this is still under the Bakufu. Until 1868, it's still the feudal system, and all the spying going on was still going on, and they were, of course, very deadly, deadly set against Christianity still. So it was a very, very, very difficult time. So now we're going to look a little bit at uh, Dr. Hepburn's work. So he opened up a clinic of all places in a rented Buddhist temple. And Dr. Hepburn was a very distinguished doctor from New York, and he already had uh, medical experience as a doctor in Asia. And they said that not only him, but all these missionaries, a lot of them were already in their mid-40s with people with experience and very dedicated, very sound, evangelical, strong Christians. But coming from the mainline denominations in the States, like the Pres mainline Presbyterian, Congregationalists, and the work actually, overall, they said that the, the Congregationalists had a huge impact. They had a lot of, they, had, they, they became the largest mission and had the largest impact here. Then also, there were no hospitals in all of Japan. Of course, the Japanese had medical work going on. There were, they had learned from the Dutch, so they had maybe their kind of clinics or something, I don't know, but they said there were no hospitals, not, not at least in the Western style. But they said that the medical needs were immense. There was a lot of sickness, a lot of blindness. And so he, um, but he, could, he had a huge need and all kinds of people were coming. But they said that then eventually the government closed down his clinic. And so Hepburn had to focus only on the language and eventually came up with his famous dictionary. And Hepburn and his wife were both instrumental in starting schools. I looked up on the Meiji Gakuin University's website and it said that uh, the origins were from 1863. Remember, the Meiji government only began in 1868. 
1863 that the Meiji Gaku University had its origins in Hepburn School of English. And so he was not only one of the founders, but Hepburn was also the first president of what's today Meiji Gakuin University. Of course, they also have a junior high and high school. And then, uh, meanwhile, Mrs. Hepburn began to teach children, including girls. Now, this is very significant because there wasn't much, you know, hardly any edu education at all for girls in that time. And later, Mary Kidder began helping her and went on to start the school, which which Ferris University for Women is now a part. It's a very famous university called Ferris Women's University in Yokohama. And this school is considered the mustard seed of women's education in Japan. In 25 years, about a million and a half girls were studying in public and private schools throughout Japan. So the missionaries were instrumental in a huge way to open the door for education for women all over Japan. And in the Yokohama Kaigan Church began with the work of uh, Samuel Brown and J.H. Bala. In Japanese, they pronounce his name Bara, but it's Bala. And uh, they also were teaching at the same school with Hepburn. And actually, Bala's uh, students and his wife's students became the bulk of the members of the first Protestant Church of Japan, founded in March 1972. This was a year before the anti-Christian edict, you know, was removed. So his work uh, uh, of his students was really important. Now there was this interdenominational week-long uh, prayer meeting, which became very, very important because this prayer meeting um, started, they decided to have an interdenomination for one week in, in January, but the God started really working and everyone of, you know, all the foreign missionaries and and many other foreign residents got together, and there was also Japanese students participating. And the Holy Spirit really moved in a powerful way, and it was amazing because um, they said that some of the Japanese young men that started believing in Jesus, they would be crying out to God for the salvation of their nation, and people, even the missionaries and other foreigners, were just deeply moved by their prayers. And this went on, and um, uh, so... Uh, so they extended the week and from January and all the way into the end of February. And the Holy Spirit worked so powerfully that at the end of that, then in March 10th, nine of these young men were baptized. And now this is very significant because, uh, so by the way, this is the church that was started in March then of 1972. So one year before Christianity's uh, prohibition was stopped. And the original church was a much smaller with uh, all stone build, stone building made out of big stones. But this is how the way it looks today in Yokohama. And this is called the Yokohama Kaigan Church, which was the first Protestant church in Japan. And uh, from 1859 to the spring of 1872, only 10 people had been baptized by the Protestant missionaries all over Japan. And so then, this was a huge boost because in 1872, in March, up until then, only 10, and now nine more were baptized, so it almost doubled their uh, number of believers. Imagine, only, only about 10 people, all the way from 59 to 72, that's what, uh, 13 years. So that was a long time. But then, um, it, then uh, the church was founded, and then also in Nagasaki, uh, Verbeck began his work, in, also in 1859. And he had a, ended up having a very huge influence in Japan, especially in this whole area of education. 
And this is, shows a picture of his very first uh, class. It says here the Reverend Verbeck, 1859, and his first class of samurai sons. And of course, this is still, like I said, this is feudal Japan. They're all here with their two swords. And, and here's uh, Verbeck right here in the middle. But this would have been a very, very amazing time to be here, I think, in Japan. You know, I would have loved to have come at this time. But anyway, um, Verbeck, he also uh, was very, very used. He started this school, and the government of, of the national government approved of the school, which the, the daimyo of that area there in, in Kyushu asked him to start it. And uh, the government, national government approved, and it was so successful that they started other schools, and then he ended up going to be asked to start what became Tokyo University in Edo, which was still called Edo at that time because before it was during the, the Bakufu yet. And this school started, and he became the very first president of Tokyo University. And so he was one of the very, very influential missionaries also in Japan. So now this was a time of a lot of political changes, and Meiji government officially began in 1868. This Boshin War, which you know that movie called The Last Samurai, talks shows about this war. But it was from January 1868 to June of 1869. And I mean, relatively not that many people died and everything. I think some 3,000 maybe or so, I mean, compared, you know, to the size of Japan. But what happened here was um, that... that the former samurai, this was a very, very difficult time because the, the people who, the, all the, the samurai who had been on the, the side of the, of the bakufu, of the, of the Tokugawa shogunate, they then became very um, uh, neglected afterwards because those, there were especially three uh, fiefs, three clans, the clan of Kagoshima in, in, in southern Kyushu, and the clan of um, Kochi and Shikoku and Yamaguchi, those three especially, and another one also called in another part of Kyushu, they, these three or four uh, clans were especially the ones that, that toppled the feudal system. And so they got all the positions in government. They and all their samurai and everything were all treated very favorably. All the rest of the samurai who were on the side of uh, uh, well, of course, others also joined them, but those that were on the side of the bakufu, they were given some a pension, a money, and a lot of them didn't know how to do business. And they became poor, and it was a very confusing and a, a very difficult time for them. So these samurai actually became a lot of the most open to the gospel because they gave them new hope and hope for a nation. They thought this is Christianity is the best thing to to start a new country, you know, to start to start over the country. And so this was, um, uh, they say that at the beginning, a large percentage of the, of the believers were, were from this class of the samurai. So now we go into this last section of 1873 to 1883 that we're going to be looking now. And it's a season of progressive realization and performance. And this time, the anti-Christian edicts were finally taken down in 1873 from all over the country. And in 1873, 29 new missionaries, including, uh, arrived. And up until then, there were only a total of 31. So, so in one year, practically the number of missionaries doubled. And uh, there was a formation of a committee to complete the New Testament. Part of it had already been translated, uh, parts of it. But they worked from 1873 until 1880 when the, the New Testament was completed. 
And in 1877, eight churches, total of 623 believers. So this, remember, the first church was in 1872. So 1877, they already had 623 members of these eight churches. This is not the whole country. Of these eight churches, including 25 studying to be ministers, formed by three mission groups, two Presbyterian and one Reformed, they joined to, to form the United Church of Christ in Japan, Nihon Christu Ichi Kyokai. So this was the first, the, there was a big push among the missionaries of all the missions to try to become all just one church in Japan, to not make all that confusion of denominations. This was a, a large push. So by 1881, just this group, not counting the Congregational, which later on became actually the largest work, but just this group had been in, uh, from, 80, from 77 to 81, in four years, they went from eight churches to 25 churches. So that was really amazing growth. And so by the end of 1882, there were 4,987 Japanese Protestant Christians. So from 72 to 82, 72 there were about 20, uh, you know, the nine that were baptized when the first church started, there were about 20, so from 72, 20 to uh, 82 with 4,000, almost 5,000. So this is really amazing growth. So this is the exciting thing that happened during this time, how God really worked and really changed the situation in Japan and uh, the gospel was slowly starting to take root. And so today we're going to be, uh, stop for this lesson we'll stop here. We're going to soon continue now with what happens after this. God bless you.